You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by Thoroughbred Racing Commentaries Global Rankings. Hello, good morning. It is Wednesday, September the 15th. It's warmish, but it's greyish and it's overcastish here in TW11 today. And I'm rushing this podcast because I've got to get to the airport to fly to Toronto for my first visit. Well, it's my first visit to Canada, my first visit to Woodbine for NBC this weekend for the Canadian International, the Woodbine Mile, the Natal Mistakes, part of the Breeders' Cup Challenge Series win and you're in. So looking forward to that and one horse who is looking to make a little bit of history in Canada by emulating Joshua Tree and winning three internationals is Desert Encounter. Grand old nine-year-old trained in Newmarket here in England by David Simcock. I'll be talking to David in a few moments' time. And not only does he talk about Desert Encounter, he shares his views with me about Sunday racing and staff going racing on a Sunday and their views that might sit at right angles to some of those that you've seen written over the uh, newspapers today uh, off the back of yesterday's announcement that there would be more Sunday racing next year here in the UK. Lee Mottestead is the senior writer from the Racing Post. Not everybody likes this, uh, Lee, least of all the head of the National Association of Racing Staff. Why? So George McGrath, who in effect leads Britain's Britain stable staff, racing staff, has come out very angry with the news of the extended Sunday programme. And it could be extended even more because there's also talk in the Racing Post today that the Sunday series, the Skybet Sunday series, could double in length from three meetings to six meetings in 2022. And George expresses his disappointment. He argues that commercial decisions have taken priority over the welfare of participants. He says, we're extremely disappointed and we have made our views known to everyone who took part in the fixture list that we didn't want to see more racing on a Sunday. The reason the membership is so hostile is that it is the only day they get off every two weeks. If they miss that, then that's a whole month they've worked without a day off. And I think it's a very fair point that George makes, and it would be remiss of George not to make it because the group that he is representing is the the, the, the stable staff, Great Britain's racing staff who work in all the yards across the country. And for many of them, Sunday racing is clearly going to be a huge inconvenience for the reasons that George outlines. The, the problem is that, as George says, there are commercial reasons why Sunday racing is deemed to be beneficial. And we should say here, Nick, it's not deemed to be beneficial by everybody everywhere. If you look at some racecourses, for example, Sunday racing just doesn't work at those tracks. Um, At some racecourses, it does. If you go to Chester or York on a Sunday, you'll find a huge audience. Um, I had friends who went to the two days at Sandown in August, where the Solario Stakes took place on the Saturday. Big crowd. The Sunday series on on the Sunday, not such a big crowd. However, bookmakers have responded that betting turnover was very good indeed for those Skybet Sunday series, uh, three race states across Haydock, Sandown and Musselburgh. And I think in general terms as well, there is a feeling that Sundays continue to be underexploited in Britain. When Sunday racing came in, in this country, there were promises of huge prize money on Sundays. And that is what really was the carrot that tempted participants to 
to sign up to the idea. Now, by and large, Sundays haven't really been as good as we would want them to be. The COVID year last year changed things. The BHA had freedom to create a fixture list um, that really would appeal to consumers because people weren't going racing. So race courses weren't influenced by crowd attendances. And ITV had an appetite to show more racing on Sunday. So we had lots of good racing on Sundays. Days like the Eclipse went to a Sunday. The, so the, um, the Sovereign at Salisbury went to a Sunday. So lots of good days went to Sunday. This year, with crowds, that's more complicated. But we still had the Sunday series. I think ITV retains an appetite to show more racing on Sunday. And we have to remember that we are, yes, balancing the, the needs of participants. And that's not just racing staff. It's jockeys and and valets who have to leave sometimes very late on a Sunday on those on those Sunday series meetings or just have to work an extra day. But we are part of the entertainment business and people generally are more free to be entertained at the weekend. So I think it's perfectly understandable that racing as a sport would look to put on more quality fare on one of the two days when more people are able to attend race meetings. So I think this is a problem for racing staff, but I don't think we can ignore the fact, as I say, we're part of the entertainment business. Sunday is a day when people want to be entertained, much more so than Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday in general terms. It's a tricky balancing act, but ultimately it is trainers who employ racing staff. I know a lot of yards are becoming more progressive in their work patterns. More people are having midweek days off. And in some ways, what this highlights isn't just the debate, the, that, 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 that difficult balancing act between Sunday racing or no Sunday racing. It highlights the problems of the working conditions of people who work in racing yards and the fact that the hours of work, the number of days of work are so different to almost any other industry. And this, therefore, I say this highlights not just that Sunday debate. It debates how can racing yards become more progressive in terms of the number of days and hours, particularly the days, that they ask their staff to work. Well, I mean, why not get a trainer's perspective and a trainer who might well have quite a lot of horses who could conceivably fall into this bracket? Um, Newmarket trainer David Simcock has got his stable star Desert Encounter running at the weekend in the Patterson International in Canada. More of that in a moment. But uh, David, what what's your thoughts on this? The sort of received wisdom is that the staff don't really like Sunday racing? Um, I'm not so sure that's the case. Um, I've got a lot of staff. I'd say the majority of my staff would be very keen to go racing on a Sunday. Um, if they pick up a spare, they're delighted because basically they're, they're earning a lot of money to go Sunday racing. Um, they get that day in lieu um, as an extra day's holiday to take somewhere else down the line. Um, none of them are under any pressure to go. Um, but you'd be surprised how keen they are to go. And listen, if it's if you've got a scenario like the series we've just had this summer, um, which has been really well received, um, you know, the prize money was excellent, the racing was very competitive, and, you know, if the facilities are good at those race courses where they're going and they get a good lunch or a good supper um, and get well looked after, they're very, very happy to go. Uh, it, it's it's a, 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 an interesting take because... You know, you you'd have us believe from reading the paper this morning that you know the the staff were sort of up in arms about this. I, I, I'm I'm not so sure at all. I think I think George McGrath slightly out of touch on this one. I really do, and he's probably taken a very 
small um, sample, if you like, who he's asked. But like I said, I'm I'm sure I'm not the minority, and it's not just my yard, but you know the majority of yards will have people very very keen to go. Of course, there's guys with hot, with families that want family time, um, and you know so be it. But you know, as a spare, and that's that's you know somebody taking somebody else's horse. Um, we'd have several that would be very, very keen to earn, like I said. Um, and no, I don't see a problem in it personally. I'm, I'm off to Canada today, and your stable star, Desert Encounter, is looking to emulate Joshua Tree by winning three Canadian internationals. He's a bit of a legend, this horse, David, isn't he? Nine years old? He is. He's, he, listen, he's, a, he's a lovely old horse, um, remarkably sound horse, and he's been a lot of fun. Um, you know, I don't know, you know, he's probably kept his longevity and going. Some would argue he's a little bit of a thief. Um, you know, he's quite quirky. Um, but, you know, he's turned up in a lot of good races and he's won a lot of prize money. I don't, I don't know. Do I, I, sort of, I sort of get the sense that you're doing him a bit of a disservice, really, saying that. I, he's, he's got a big fan club. Yeah, well, listen, he's probably a lovable rogue. Um, and everybody loves a rogue one way or another. Um, but listen, he's he's been consistent. Um, you know, I don't know. I'm not sure how many stakes races he's won now, but it's, it's close to ten, um, well over a million in prize money. And he seems to turn up, and he turns up generally at the time of year. Um, and this seems to be his time of year. His, his run in Windsor was a great prep behind a very good filly, and trying to give her thirteen pounds was no mean feat. Um, but I, I think sort of. What's kept him going is, if it's not his day, he's very quick to stick two fingers up you, and he'll run. He'll run average, and and that's that's probably why he's kept going for so long. And that's probably why he's had you tearing your hair out on occasions as well. Occasionally, but you know, when when you know, he's also given us some wonderful surprises. You know, he won those um, four stakes races about. Um, two years ago, he was third in an eclipse. He's turned up at Royal Ascot and Champions Day on numerous occasions to pick, sort of pick up the pieces and win decent prize money for finishing fourth, fifth, and sixth. Um, you know, it's um, listen. He's he's just a credit, and um, he's a very very lovable character. And listen, he goes goes there on Saturday in great shape. Trainer David Simcock there, looking forward to seeing Desert Encounter head to Canada for the Patterson Canadian International on Saturday evening. Now, most every trainer in the UK is participating in National Racehorse Week, the brainchild of trainer Richard Phillips, and many have found innovative and unusual ways of contributing to this initiative. None more so than trainer Joe Foster, who's based on Ilkley Moor, 10 miles north of Leeds, and Joe joins me now. Joe, what have you been up to? So, um, rather than open up the yards to people who probably already love racing, we decided to take the horses out to those people who couldn't get to visit the yards or see the racehorses or even go racing. Um, Particularly after COVID, we thought there's a lot of lonely people who've been isolated on their own. So, we've been visiting local care homes um, and then integrated that with visiting some of the local schools um, just to introduce the kids to racing because they're obviously our future audience um and so we thought well you know maybe we've we'll teach them about uh race working in racing and how the horses are looked after and um 
you know everything that goes around it so to to, to put it in the young brains at um, an early age we thought was probably um and they loved it they, they've loved it you know it's been it's been massively positive on in every direction so it's a, it's a fantastic idea and it must have given you a, an awful lot of joy to see how much pleasure that that it spread do you know it's quite surprising because it was quite emotional you know even the staff sort of were I couldn't believe how um, how rewarding it was. The first visit we went to was to a care home. And, um, you know, these residents, there was 38 residents, and, and most of them were wheeled out or, you know, very few of them could walk without uh, an aid. Um, and um, the joy that it brought to them and, you know, the, the racehorse, he's, you know, obviously he's only 75% fit at the moment, ready for the jumping season, but... He warmed them and he was gentle and they fed him carrots and they just sort of touched him and they they let him sniff them. And they, it, the smiles it brought to those faces and some of them haven't had visitors for a year and a half still. They've, you know, they've been in and out of isolation with COVID and things. It was it was it was fantastic. And it's so good to feel like we're actually giving something back. And is this carrying on all week? Yes. Yeah, so we've, we we. Um, we have um, we're running into next week, in fact, because we're so busy. And obviously, we're trying to sort of still get our horses out and worked as normal in the morning routine. So it's the staff are doing extra time um, and uh, just to stay on over lunchtime. So we've got school visits. We've got a primary school to go to tomorrow. We've got a care home to go to the day after. We've got um, a, a grammar school to go to next week because they were really keen for their year eights to um sort of and we're gonna obviously sort of introduce the you can be a jockey you can work in racing do that bit of a talk for that one so each one's slightly different and we've obviously got to do risk assessments and things but it's been massively popular so many people um are keen to join and try and get us to visit and i said gosh we're probably gonna have to do this next year as well if we've if we've got the right horse to do it and we Sigard, who goes along, his owner came along as well, and she really, really enjoyed it. I mean, she was massively for it. But we've got his companion, so he's got a companion pony with him, um, which is a little little dirty in Shetland called Teddy, who is incredibly popular because obviously he can go right up to the wheelchairs or the kids can just, you know, run around him and stroke him. Um, Teddy's a naughty, cheeky little Shetland who um, is very friendly and uh, just basically incredibly greedy so uh he's searching for people's pockets for carrots and mints all the time so he's he fits they tend to fit both bills of the big racehorse and then the small one that if people are a bit scared uh of the big one then they've got the little one to to sort of pat and mess about with but it gets everybody talking that's a great thing gets everybody talking uh, Lee is still with me. And Lee, you've been writing as, as part of National Racehorse Week as well. And, and you, you wrote a, a close up and personal with Stradivarius uh, this morning. That must have been fun. Yeah, it really was. I was down there last week, Nick, um, on Monday morning, so three days in advance of his run in the in the Doncaster Cup. And um, yeah, it was fascinating. I, we, we've, done, we've done a piece each day or we're doing a piece each day this week, sort of following the life of a racehorse at different stages of a, of a racehorse's life or a different sort of racehorse. Uh, so today we were looking at a superstar with, with, with Stradivarius. And I think what was what was particularly interesting talking to, to John Gosden and to members of his team there was that the superstar racehorse is largely treated ev- exactly the same as the, the 65 rated handicapper. They all have the same needs. 
they all also are individuals. So you you have to balance the the training program, the care of any individual horse around what that horse needs, because as, as John points out, horses respond best to care and respect. So I thought he, it, it was a, a really interesting day with him. Um, and I think I, I'm particularly pleased that we're doing with, with a post that we, we, we have been working to try and go along with the the ethos of, of National Racehorse Week. Normally that sort of piece that we've run today would be premium. It would be for our uh, the members of our, our website club. Um, the pieces this week have all been free to read because I think we accept and understand as well that hopefully we can get more eyes on these sorts of stories. Uh, if we can get more people into racing yards over National Racehorse Week, if we can get more people to understand the industry and uh, how well racehorses are cared for in racing yards and it can be only be for for the greater good uh, not an easy juxtaposition this but a big news story yesterday was the return of gordon elliott when I mean, we've talked about it quite a lot on this on this podcast and there's probably not that much more to say at the moment but still there he was yesterday at punchestown back on the race course yeah so it was gordon elliott's first day um on a race course since his his uh ban expired obviously he wasn't racing during the period of that ban he was unusually at a flat meeting at punchestown which sounds strange in itself a flat meeting at punchestown but they brought frat racing back there had a good card gordon had one runner um horse who was pretty well backed performed very disappointingly he'll move on to to sligo today where he has many more obvious chances at a jumps meeting so much more natural ground for gordon he said he went there quite apprehensive in terms of how people would react he said that was largely positive and i think Certainly on Irish race courses, it will be a largely positive response um, to Gordon. Um, I think it's important still how he comports himself, how he how he talks about his situation and how um, industry figures talk about his situation as well. I think it will be very unfortunate for racing if Gordon was, and I don't think he would want this, if he was presented as some sort of returning hero um, or a, a victim figure. That That isn't the case. He, he committed a crime. He served a penalty. We can debate whether we think that penalty was a sufficient length, an insufficient length, was just about right or not. The fact is he's back now. And I do think it's important that a, ongoing, that the, the right, there's the right tone about his comeback uh, and I'm sure he would want that as well and it hasn't taken long Lee for uh, officials in Ireland and France to respond to requests in your newspaper on this podcast and just about everywhere else to avoid race clashes for, for group ones which is good news yeah absolutely and one would hope that um, what happened on Sunday when as an example the Group 1 Flying 5 at the Curra and the Group 1 uh, Privamaya at Longchamp, both on offer, or both were scheduled to go off at 2.55. Um, as it happened, uh, Olivier Deloitte, the, the Director General of France Gallo, uh, explains in the Racing Post, and he, he uses it in, in very nice language. He says, on Sunday, we cheated slightly by having a couple of races go off slightly behind schedule in order to let the Irish get their race away. So he was clearly aware of this this issue that we didn't want two group one races going off at the same time because racing now has a, a very global audience. When we were kids, Nick, there was very little chance to watch racing from, from Ireland or France on, on TV. Now, whether you live in Ireland, France or, 
or Britain, you can watch each other's racing all the time. So it's available to us. Um, so it's important that races go off at suitable times so that the audience can watch all those races. Now, it is a bit like the, the, the first issue we spoke about today, Nick. It's, it is quite complicated because, as Olivier explains, primarily he has to give priority to French races and they have to be staggered so that they all work best with each other. And adding international races into the jigsaw puzzle, international races which with a French audience will have less interest from punters, um, isn't necessarily easy. So I, I don't think it's as simple as saying, gee, this is stupid, why haven't they done something about that? I think that it probably is more complex than we might imagine at, at, at first glance. But equally, one would think there must be a way around it, even if there's a five-minute gap between those races. Um, so hopefully this will not occur in the future. But um, a pat on the back to Olivier Delois, um, who I bigged up in, I think my last appearance on here, I'll big him up again. Well done to him for, for, for cheating on Sunday and holding back uh, the Vermeer, the, the, the Prefoire. And now to Hong Kong for our weekly update with Jim McGrath. Not just tips, but some important developments on the political front. Nick, another entertaining Happy Valley card in prospect. But before we get on with that, the news that Hong Kong Jockey Club's chief executive is to become the new chairman of the International Federation of Horse Racing Authorities has been well received worldwide. Winfried Engelbrecht Brezges succeeds Louis Romanet, who's chaired the IFHA since its inauguration 27 years ago. Winfrey's reputation as an official who sets targets and hits them with regularity is well earned. He's been 23 years with the Hong Kong Jockey Club, the last 14 of them as chief executive, and he's overseen progress at all levels during that time. But possibly more importantly, in an international context, Winfried also currently chairs the Asian Racing Federation. I'm told that Paris will remain the spiritual home of the IFHA, but a man well-versed in the ways of Asia, racing's biggest potential growth area, is certainly in a position to steer the global racing ship through some rough seas that are forecast. I'm sure there'll be more to report on this in the months ahead. Meanwhile, back to the delights of an eight-race Wednesday card under lights at Happy Valley, where the arch-rivals Zach Purton and Joe Moreira look set to dominate. Not much new there, I know. Between them, they've won uh, the last eight jockeys' titles in Hong Kong. I'm going to recommend two horses for each. First, Zach, who I believe can win on two promising types, trained by Dennis Yip. Both running Class 4, 6 furlong sprint handicaps, and both will continue climbing the class ladder after this. Fireball, race 4, number 1, is very smart and looks set to enjoy the run of the race from an inside draw. Back him to win and take him in a tote swinger with number 7, Happily Friends. The second Purton mount, I fancy, is in race 5, number 7, Stormtrooper, who's plenty of potential despite his naught from five figures after his first season in Hong Kong. Don't worry about that. Most need to acclimatise, and this fellow has done just that. His recent barrier trial was good. 
Now for the magic man. Joe Marrera teams up with Tony Cruz with MIG Energy. That's race seven, number six. Now, when Marrera rides one for Cruz for the first time, that's worth noting. MIG Energy is one from 21 in Hong Kong, but he has plenty in his favour here. The other Marrera possible comes in race eight, number 12, Sight Success. Uh, who must overcome a wide draw, but has the early speed to do it. Take him in, a, in tote swingers with five golden dash and ten loving a boom. So that's all on the Hong Kong beat this week. May I wish you all good luck and good punting. Thank you to Jim, to my guests today, to Lee Mottishead. Uh, Lee, before we go, uh, Christopher Spence, the former senior steward of the Jockey Club, has died at the age of 84. Um, a, a, a fantastically warm, a generous figure who was extremely well-loved in the sport. And he'll be fondly remembered, uh, not just for his um, kind demeanour, but also for having quite a significant influence in a transitionary period in the sport. Yeah, absolutely, Nick. I mean, I I didn't know Christopher, but I I, I knew of him, and I, I I read many of the 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 warm tributes that have been paid to him since he died, um, and came across the view that, that I, I wish I had known him because he clearly was a a very nice man. Um, but he was also, as you said, Nick, a very influential man at that time when the jockey club was um changing from from being the the body that ran and controlled british racing to what it is now as the governance of the sport was moving towards the bhb which became the bha christopher spence uh like lord hardington now the duke of devonshire was a was a key figure in that handover and in in making british racing more modern um, and fit for purpose in the way it is governed. Now, there are still clearly huge issues with how the sport is governed, but it's 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 governed. The structure, at least now, is much more acceptable in terms of a a modern a modern sport. And Christopher was instrumental to that. He led a number of organisations across a long period of time, and he did so clearly with a, a passion and a sincerity that reflected well on him, but did enormous good. To those organizations and there's a long list of them if you read the, the the racing post story you'll see how many bodies he was influential within and racing owes him a huge debt of gratitude um he has been um a tr tremendous servant to the sport and uh, i think we, we clearly send all our best wishes and condolences to his family and loved ones and before you go, you have to provide me with a winner for this afternoon, if possible. David Yates was back on the score sheet again yesterday. Yeah, and noting that, Nick, I'm going to play safe because I want to maintain the momentum for the pod listeners. There's actually a lot to pick from today. Cracking racing at Sandown and Yarmouth. Really good um, Wednesday fair, Nick. And as I, I am going to play safe with a horse called Harston for Harry Eustace in the 5-10 at Sandown. The last race of Sandown's flat season she was a very very ready winner uh, last time at lingfield the form of that has worked out well we had rain around here i'm not too far from you not too far from sandown so the ground should be nice and easy for her uh, i think she stands out by quite a long way in the 510 so harston 510 at sandown lee thank you so much thank you very much for listening we will leave you with the highlight of christopher spence's life as an owner breeder celeric winning the 1997 gold cup at ascot we'll see you again tomorrow Bye bye Grey shot and double trigger and Samron making quite good progress and
Solerik is still right in the picture as last year's winner Classic Cliché goes for home now. And it's Classic Cliché as they race towards the furlong pole. But Solerik is just sitting on his tail and he's going to make a challenge any moment now. It's Classic Cliché from Solerik. You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association, and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary. Thank you.